Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Alex Gandy. Uh, I'm the community pastor here at Rooted Church. Um, and it's already been discussed this morning, uh, but I kind of just wanted to give a friendly reminder. Like throughout the month of January, our planting pastor, Rodney Rambo, uh, is on sabbatical. Um, and I'm incredibly grateful that he has uh, just the opportunity to take some time away with his family, uh, to reconnect with Jesus, to reconnect with his, um, just with his, his calling, um, and, but more so uh, just an important opportunity for him to Sabbath with Jesus. Um, and so uh, while he is sabbaticaling, I'm not sure if that's a word, I do hope that you can join me in praying for him um, and his family. So thanks, for, uh, thanks to Zach for reading those three verses this morning. Uh, just a quick note, uh, we're going to be bouncing around the first uh, chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, but a majority of our message this morning does stem from those three verses. Sorry, rookie here, backup QB, just messing with the microphone. I apologize. So now after you heard the book of John read, you also may be wondering to yourself, hey Alex, weren't we studying the book of Revelation before Advent? Um, uh, what does this Advent season look like? Um, you're reading the wrong, the wrong side of the New Testament, Alex. Like, the book of John is at the beginning. Revelation is at the end. Rodney being gone is already off to the wrong foot. Um, well, first of all, I will say that you're right. We were going through the book of Revelation before Advent, and we will continue to go through the book of Revelation um, post-Advent, except for this Sunday. Um, as Rodney and I thought through the calendar um, and thought through what this first Sunday may look like in the new year, um, we really thought, what, what, is po what is Advent remind us of. It is a celebration of Jesus' coming. It is a celebration of God's promise to save. But what do we do after that? What do we do now? And so maybe in this first Sunday post-Advent, we would take some time to answer that question and think, what is the primary thing that we should be focusing on throughout the next new year as we continue to look at the book of Revelation? So in light of that question, I thought it would actually be appropriate to take a look at John the Baptist. Uh, now, a quick disclaimer, we're reading from the book of John, and we're also talking about a guy named John. So there's going to be a lot of Johns thrown around this morning, um, so I will try and keep it as clear uh, for you as possible. Now, John the Baptist was a man whose birth paralleled Christ's, and his life and actions being a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. You see, similar to this spot in the calendar, as we kind of straddle the conclusion of one year and the beginning of a new year, John the Baptist kind of straddles the Old Testament and the New Testament. As some of us know, uh, John the Baptist was a man who was well-read and knowledgeable of Scripture. And the book of Isaiah has some of the following passages that he adhered to. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Or every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. Or the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John the Baptist found clarity and affirmation to his calling in these words, and he divinely understood who Jesus was and was not willing to be kept silent. He wanted to prepare the way of the Lord because he understood the depth of who Jesus was, and he especially understood the role that he was to play. Now, you need to remember the divine nature of even John the Baptist's conception and birth. The first chapter of Luke outlines it in detail. If you look in Luke, in verses 15 through 17 of the first chapter, an angel visits with Zechariah in the temple and told them that even in the womb, John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Mary visited with Elizabeth and told Elizabeth that she was pregnant, John literally leapt in the womb. So now fast forward a few years, and who knew when John first maybe opened the scroll of Isaiah? 
But when, he, when John read those words in Isaiah and his heart and his mind aligned, and you can picture him reading those verses and coming to a realization that those verses were talking about him and his role that he wanted to play in preparation for the king. And although we all know him as John the Baptist, our scripture this morning in the first chapter of John actually never necessarily refers to him as John the Baptist, but over and over again, he is referred to as a witness. And this is one of the key points that we're going uh, to be reviewing this morning and wrestling with this morning is how was he a witness? Why are witnesses needed for the kingdom and how we are all called to be witnesses? And something that I think would also is important to point out this morning is the context of this passage. And when I, mean the, when I say context of this passage, I mean the introduction of John the Baptist surrounding the verses that the 6 through 8 are in. If you read the surrounding verses, you'll notice that there's much more content outside of John the Baptist, that this isn't just a simple profile of who he is. I could have instead chosen scriptures like John the Baptist that are more direct or used more frequently. Most people who have grown up in church have probably learned John the Baptist was the guy who wore, uh, wore camel hair and survived on locusts and honey. Scripture verses that are a little bit more direct and straightforward. But I chose this scripture this morning because it goes into greater detail of John the Baptist's testimony. But not only that, I think literarily, the form and function of this passage has always seemed kind of clunky to me. Uh, so selfishly, uh, I wanted to investigate it. And so now we all get to go on a joy ride of Alex's investigation into scripture. So I apologize in advance. So let's start digging. We're going to start with verses 6 through 8, the same ones as Zach read earlier, but I want to read them again, and we'll, we will read them repeatedly throughout this morning. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So hang on with me for a second. But don't you think those verses are a little bit random to you? They are to me. If you look at the book's flow so far, if you look at verses 1 through 5, it's talking um, about who was God and that God was in the world and that light shines in the darkness. And then if you skip verses 6 through 8, it would flow seamlessly into verse 9, which is continuing to discuss the light and the true light which gives light to everyone coming into the world. So if I could jump even a little bit forward in the first chapter of John, the same thing actually happens in verse 15. John, the author, seems to interrupt the flow again to say something about John the Baptist. The ESV feels the interruption so keenly that around verse 15 there are parentheses. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 16 continues really smoothly. If you, skipped verse, if, if you skipped verse 15, it says, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That fullness being referred to in verse 14. But verse 15 decides to break right into those two sentences. and says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Now, Rearranging the text or skipping verses is not what I intend to do, uh, nor was what the, what the author wanted from us this morning. So our job is not to improve John's literary art by telling him what he should, have, should not have written or how he should have written it or that, hey man, maybe you should have categorized your thoughts a little bit better. Our job this morning is to study and attempt to understand his literary purposes. And by doing that, to understand his theological purposes, 
his spiritual purposes, his evangelical purposes, and all the other purposes that are embedded in God's Word. So, where am I going with this? I know this is a long introduction. Why bring up a literary observation at the very beginning of this message? But I want to set the stage for our two points. I only have two points this morning. The way in which our author of the gospel structures this passage is critical to understand the two points that I'm going to talk about. And I think these two points are also critical for us as a church plant as we progress and move in to this new year. And the first point is this, that we are to make much of Christ by being his witnesses. Being a witness of Christ is a necessity and it's not an option. And we'll talk about the finer details of witnessing here in a little bit later. But if you read on throughout the rest of this passage throughout the, uh, the Gospel of John, the word witness, which in Greek is marturehu, is attached to John four different times. And the second point that we're going to talk about this morning is this, that we are to understand who we are not to be. In other words, our witness, ourselves, is not to be the center of attention, that this show is not all about us, that rooted is not about us, but it's about Christ. We are to make little of ourselves and much of Jesus. So let's tackle the first of two points. Uh, Being a witness is a necessity. So where am I getting that point in these verses? Follow me here as we read those short three verses again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. When we read scripture, it is important to look at the surrounding scriptures to better understand the context of the narrative, right? Our culture is so soundbite and clickbait driven that we want everything in these short soundbites to hang our hat on. But if we skim over the first few verses of chapter, as I mentioned earlier in my sermon, what is it talking about? It's talking about who is Jesus and how God has created all things and that in him was life and that life was the light of men. And not to mention that that same light pushes out darkness and that darkness has not overcome it. And so to me, as I read a passage, if I were to stop there, it would seem to me that the word and the light would be able to spread to all of mankind with its own power and its own brightness. But our author knows that that's not the case. John walked with Jesus and knows the importance of being a witness for the kingdom. For being a disciple of Christ is not just an observatory role, but a role of engagement and evangelism. Over and over again, he watched Jesus be proactive in building relationships and calling people to himself. And that mantra and mindset is still relevant for us today at Rooted Church. You will play a role in someone knowing and finding Jesus. And we need to, and I'm, I'm hoping and praying that through this passage and throughout this year as we continue to study Revelation, that we seek others with urgency and conviction. For instance, later in the book of John, in chapter 20, John recounts one of Jesus' prayers for us. Now, reminder, this is Jesus' prayer for you and for me. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Did you catch that? Jesus says through their word. He is referring to you and me, and Jesus could foresee that coming to faith and salvation in Joplin is going to take more churches being planted. It's going to take more people talking about Jesus. It's going to, it means our witnesses in the community matters. And that's why Rooted Church is also important in this community. It's important in our lives. 
is there is still work to be done. And that's why the first point of this sermon this morning is that you are to be a witness for Christ. And being a witness for Christ is a necessity. And being a witness for Christ is required of you. And whether you know it or like it or not, you are called and equipped to spread the gospel of good news to others. And do you recall, for example, your own testimony? What is your own salvation story? How and when did you hear the gospel message? I would guess that it was through a witness for Christ. Either directly or indirectly, it was through a witness. And that is the power of God that I'm wanting to talk about this morning. That that is the power of being a witness for him. It has transformational power and might. And we as a church plant have to understand that we are in the business, that God is in the business of transforming us and our lives from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, but we are all, he's also in the business of helping do that through us to others. So now I know what, I, know what happened right after a second I said that. Some of you in this room kind of maybe gave me the internal eye roll, right? Trust me, I'm very familiar with the internal eye roll. You may have not done it physically, but I work on a college campus. College students give me the internal eye roll on a daily basis. Some of you said, yeah, 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 Alex, I hear you. I know I'm supposed to be a witness, but I just don't fit that mold. I'm sorry. So in response to your internal eye roll, or to some of you's internal objections, let's take a closer look at verse 6. I said at the beginning, and I'll say it multiple times throughout the rest of my sermon, the structure and the language of this passage is key in understanding the point that our author is trying to make and the point that I'm trying to make this morning. How does verse 6 begin? It says, there was a man. Now let's stop there, all right? And think, there was a person. There will always be a person sent from God, whether it's you or whether it's me. And as John is pressing and writing into his gospel from the very beginning, the truth that human witnesses for Christ are always a necessity. Our witness matters. As we go into this new year, our witness matters. As we reflect on 2020 and the perceived dumpster fire that it was maybe to us, our witness matters because 2020 mattered to God. Now, let's talk about some important theology related to what I'm saying, as I think it's important to clarify. Verse 6 starts with, there was a man, but it finishes with, sent from God. The point of this is that the necessity of human witnesses does not mean God is dependent on the initiative of human will. God was involved not just in sending Jesus, he is involved in sending witnesses on behalf of Jesus. So let me expand upon what I'm saying briefly. For example, in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said this to his disciples, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And he said to Paul in Acts chapter 22, verse 21, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. God makes human witnesses necessary, but he does not leave his mission or his, he doesn't leave his mission or his purpose or his kingdom to the initiative of human man. He sends men and women like us to specific people for specific purposes because he knows that time is of the essence and that more souls need to be won for his glory and their good. So, rooted church, we serve a God who saves and a God who sends us. He provides the foundation of our salvation in Jesus Christ and he provides the means of our salvation in whom he sends, his witnesses. And I hope and pray that this piece of knowledge enlivens your heart and soul as you progress into this new year. 
I hope you realize that you have been placed in the situations and circumstances of your life today for a reason, to shine light in the darkness and to make disciples of Christ. I pray that, like, that you, like Isaiah, can maybe wake up each day and pray to your creator and God who loves you, here am I, send me. That's Isaiah chapter 6, 8, if you want to know. Because you are who your neighbor needs who doesn't know Jesus. You are who your family member needs who doesn't know the impact of the cross or the resurrection. You are who your coworker needs who idolizes that dollar amount on their paycheck or the money that they have in the bank. You are what Rooted needs as ministry leaders, as servants, as disciples, as a family of missionary disciples. Because we never know who's going to walk in that door behind you. We can't do this alone, but we have to be witnesses on behalf of Jesus. So now remember that my first point that I was trying to make this morning was kind of slightly twofold. It's being a witness, and also that being a witness is a necessity. It's not optional as a Christian, but it's a necessity. And here's why it's a necessity. Take a closer look at verse 7. It says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Believing in the, believing in the light happens through a witness of the light. There is no other way. Ruta Church, do you understand that? When you hear those words, do you feel the weight of such a short passage of Scripture? Do you understand that God has sent you to be a witness for Him to your family, to your friends, to your social circles? And verse 7 concludes with the phrase, through Him. Do you know who Him is referring to in that passage? That Him is referring to John the Baptist now? And presently, as we sit today, that Him is referring to you as a witness for Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 is a quick reminder for us related to the subject. It says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul sums up the importance of this, of the importance for us to be witnesses in kind of a different way. A person can come to faith only through hearing the gospel. And the specific message that must be heard is the word of Christ. That is, the good news about Jesus Christ as the crucified and risen Savior. So let's take a 40,000-foot view of the Scripture and the book that we're looking at this morning. Why is this important? Why is Alex bringing this up? Do you know why the Gospel of John is often so recommended to someone who is seeking out God or exploring what Christianity is or someone who is a new believer? It's because the book hinges and focuses on believing in Jesus and believing in the Word and believing in the light that shines in the darkness. Verse 7 in this text this morning is the first reference that John makes to believing. And this topic will be brought up again 97 more times throughout the Gospel of John. John is writing this book that we're reading today, hoping and praying that those who read it will come to belief. But not only that, he puts in the context of John the Baptist because he wants people to understand and know that we are to be witnesses on Christ's behalf. So again, why is the structure of this passage important? Why has our author written this literature in this style? Why does he introduce John the Baptist when he does? Because we as Christians need to understand the transforming power of the Word of God. And we need to understand that we are witnesses to this gospel, and we are to bear witness to others related to our Savior for His kingdom. Our second point this morning, if you remember, is that through all of this, as we bear witness to Jesus, to others, 
we must remember who we are not. Now, I know that's kind of slightly awkward and kind of slightly clunky as I kind of say it, so I hope that as I explain um, my thought pattern, uh, you'll kind of pick up what I'm throwing down. Take a look again at verse 7 with me. It says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now look at verse 8. It says, he, has, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Man, as I read that, I kind of stop and give pause. Like, John, do you know that you just wrote the same thing twice? You say, this, you say in verse 7 that he is a witness to the light, and then in verse 8, you also say kind of the, the exact same thing? Why? Why say the obvious? Why say that John was not the light, right? It's kind of like when you go to a fast food restaurant and you know that there's a fruit salad as a side. Listen, Chick-fil-A, I know that I could get a fruit cup as a side, but I'm having fried chicken as my main course. Might as well go all in and get the waffle fries, get the Chick-fil-A sauce, okay? Because we all know calories don't count at the Christian chicken. We know calories, <laughs> calories don't count at the mighty holy temple of the righteous fast food, i.e. Chick-fil-A. Now, I might not have made anything of verse 7 and 8's differences, or I would say that that negative clarification or that recount of John's response or that recount of John's character. But it's something that happens over and over again in chapter 1. It actually happens four more times. If you skip ahead, look at verses 19 and 20 in chapter 1. It says this, And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now these are the words of John himself. This is not being said about John like the way it is in verse 8. And it's important to make that distinction. The author wants to emphasize to us, the reader, that John the Baptist was not the Christ. And even above that and above and beyond that, he reminds us that John the Baptist himself says he is not the Christ. This narrative of John the Baptist is part of his witness. As I said already, it is important for us to look at what John is writing and how he is writing it and how he is structuring this passage and to determine for what purpose. And I believe one of those purposes is to remind us of who we are not. Because you only write something like this, and when I say this, maybe a negative clarification or recount of John's character or his behavior when you're trying to make a point to the reader. So for us here this morning at Rooted Church, going into this year, the scripture has already described to us that our witness is necessary. But maybe more importantly, we also need to know in our head and in our hearts that this act of witnessing is not about us. That we are not pointing to ourselves in the process of witnessing, but we are pointing to Jesus. So even John the Baptist Someone who I think those of you who are familiar with the story of John the Baptist and his story arc would say he's relatively important, you know, like he baptizes Jesus. He repeatedly refuses to bring glory or importance to himself. Over and over again in chapter 1, he reminds the priests and the Levites and he reminds us who he is not. In verse 8, it says he is not the light. In verse 20, he says he is not the Christ in response to the priests and Levites. Again, another question to him is, is he Elijah? He says, he is not Elijah in verse 21. In verse 27, he says, he is not worthy to untie his, being Jesus' sandals. Later in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist has a beautiful statement related to his entire mindset about him and Jesus and his witness. 
The scene is a few of John the Baptist's disciples approach him, asking him about Jesus baptizing people across the Jordan and everyone going to Jesus. His disciples are disturbed after kind of realizing they kind of have this aha moment that Jesus' ministry is overtaking the size of their own. But for John the Baptist, this was the surest sign of the success of his ministry. You would think that John would want to try and retain some of his influence or retain some of his popularity, but he doesn't. Turn a few chapters over with me, if you wouldn't mind, to John chapter 3 and look at verses 28 through 30. But listen to how he responds to his disciples' concern about, look, look, across the Jordan, John, there's this guy named Jesus and he's baptizing all these people. What should we do? Here's how he responds. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. The last phrase is the most important for us this morning, especially related to we as a church and we as witnesses in our community, we as witnesses to our family and our friends. He must increase and we must decrease. Reader Church, I know the idea of bearing witness to Christ is often intimidating, But I want to remind you this morning that in being witnesses of our Savior, we are not pointing others to ourselves. We are pointing others to the Savior who has redeemed us. Nor are we pointing others to our church, proclaiming that we are the ones who are doing this church gig perfectly. I mean, really? Like, do you see the watermarks on our walls or do you see the technical difficulties that we have on an average Sunday morning? Dustin Dix and I were here late last night mopping up water that had leaked from the 147 different cracks in our roof or in our foundation. We're definitely not doing this perfectly, all right? There was a trash can here full of water right before the service started. It's not about us. He must increase and we must decrease. Here at Rooted Church, we're a bunch of ragtag Christians just trying to keep it together, right? But that is the point. Our witness is not about us. It's not about our own glory. It's not about our own reputations or our own stories. It's about pointing people to Jesus and his redemptive story in our lives. So think again to the response by John the Baptist. Or maybe I should say John the witness at this point in the message. What what kind of response did he give to his disciples after they asked him about Jesus baptizing people across the Jordan and his ministry growing? His response revolved around a wedding. Some of you in this room may have stood in a wedding as a bridesmaid or a groomsman. And so I'm asking you now to picture a wedding. And you know how it goes at the beginning. Usually the grooms and the groomsmen, they're usually either already on stage or they walk up first in comparison to the bride. But regardless, we know that the groomsmen are up at the front at the beginning. And pretend for a second that you're one of those groomsmen. And yeah, for a brief few minutes, while you're up at the front, people are looking at you and they're looking at your cool tuxedo and they're looking at your shiny cufflinks and they're also looking at how you're sweating your tail off because someone chose to do this outdoors in Missouri in August. But regardless of all that, in this scenario, John the Baptist points us and his disciples that you are not looking back at the crowd, you are looking at the groom. And after all, he is the reason that you're staying up there, right? He's the reason that you're dressed to the nines. He's the reason that you're in the place that you are because he puts you on that stage because he loves you. 
And when you hear that groom's voice, when you hear him recite his vows and he recites his promises, when you see how he looks at his bride, you immediately realize and you are reminded that that celebration is not about you, but it is about the bride and the groom. And when you put that analogy into the story of the gospel, into the story and framework and narrative of John the Baptist that we're reading this morning, we realize that as a witness to Christ, we rejoice when someone's attention turns from us and turns to Jesus. We don't want people here at Rooted Church because they love Rooted. We want people here at Rooted Church because they love Jesus. And moreover, <clears throat> when we know in our hearts and our minds that that love that Jesus has for us is the same love that he has for those who don't know him, are we ever more the eager to be a witness on his behalf? Because Jesus is at the ceremony for his bride, and his bride is his church. And so that knowledge should bring us joy that shatters that mundane daily grind of life. That knowledge should convict and guide our efforts in the midst of our relationships, seeking out opportunities to share the truth of the gospel all the while not worrying about hiding our own secrets or hiding our sins or describing that, yeah, maybe our church is falling apart as a church or the building is falling apart as a church, but, and we all know that we're a bunch of ragamuffin Christians, but we serve a king who loves us deeply. The message is about Jesus, not about us. He must increase and we must decrease. To conclude, Psalm 115 verse 1, I think is a really great reminder related to this perspective. It says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your, and your faithfulness. I hope and pray that throughout this year we will embrace those reasonings, that reason why we serve here on a Sunday morning or the reason why we engage in things like family groups or DNA groups or the reason why we start that conversation with our neighbor or that we start that conversation with our family member or friend who needs Jesus. That we are not prioritizing ourselves or our own narratives, but we're prioritizing the gospel. So for you this morning, Christian, do you realize that your witness is a necessity? That faith comes from hearing from another witness. But in the same token, do you realize what your witness is not to be? That we are to make much of him and little of ourselves. Have you given yourself the freedom and the grace to realize that as we bear witness of our Savior, He is alongside you every step of the way, providing you a people to be sent to, the truth of the gospel and your salvation story on your lips, and His supernatural spirit to capture the hearts and the minds of the people that you talk to? That Do you know if you were to boil down the mission statement, the processes, the rhythms of Rooted Church, why we exist? We exist because we want to make more witnesses to Christ. That we want, people, we want people to hear the gospel. And so as I close, I would invite you to pray about the following things. I want you to remind yourself that you are a cherished and pursued child of God. I want you to remind yourself that you are to be a witness for your Savior. I want you to remind yourself that God has sent you to a people, whether that is your own family, whether those are your friends, whether that is your work, he has sent you to someone to be a witness and a bearer of his light to them. And I want to remind you that this life, that these efforts, that this church, it's not about you. It's not about our own glory, but it's about a gracious and merciful king who deeply loves us, and that's why it's worth believing, and that's why it's worth being a witness. 
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, um, and God, I am thankful, one, um, that your scripture is transformational, that hearing your word transforms our hearts and our minds, because God, I know, I admit that I am so distracted throughout the week, that I am so, um, I am so apathetic towards your word, but when I do read your word, it transforms my heart and mind, and I pray that those who are in this room this morning um, would remember something from this sermon related to you and your love for them, and that also that we are to be witnesses for you. So Lord, would you open our eyes to those who you have called us to? Would you open our eyes and remind us that when we are witnessing to others, that it's okay that we're not perfect, but that we can showcase your perfection in the cross and in the resurrection and remind them that, man, we don't have to be perfect because Jesus, you were perfect. So thank you for your cross, Jesus. Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for, the, for our pastor being able to take a break and take Sabbath and sabbatical with you. But most of all, thank you for your cross and that you are alive today, that you are present in this place, that you defeated our sin and our shame and that we can take your identity upon ourselves and be witnesses on your behalf in our community, in our family, and our friends. Amen. <clears throat> so at this time, uh, this morning, we have an opportunity as a family to break bread together and remind ourselves what Christ has done for us through the act of communion. Now, it may look a little bit differently in the midst of COVID-19, but that doesn't relinquish the importance or the impact in taking communion has on our hearts and our minds. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20 says this, He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. If you're a Christian this morning, communion is an intimate opportunity for you to reconvene with your Savior, to remind yourself of the cross, to confess your sins to him, to repent, but also to receive grace. If you are not a Christian this morning, communion is not for you. But Christ is for you. I'll be sitting up here at the front as we continue our worship service, and I'd be happy to talk to you about Jesus. But for those of us who will be taking communion, I would encourage you not to rush up here. Let the moment unravel. Pray and take time with your Savior. Let the depth of the gospel block out all of your distractions and remember your salvation story. Remember when you first heard the gospel. What was that like? Remind how you had a heart of stone that has now turned to flesh because of Jesus and because of the gospel. Then come and take, come to the table and remember our God and I want you to celebrate his holiness and celebrate his grace and celebrate his generosity in sending his son Jesus. Take some time. Pray to him and take communion.